is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Far better than I deserve, that's for sure. Amen. Same here. Uh, yeah. So this has uh, been a very interesting week so far. Uh, my family is not here in town. So I'm forgetting half of the things I'm supposed to be doing in my life right now. Half half of you is gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm forgetting stuff. I'm getting texts from my wife, and she's like, did you remember to do this? I'm like, I didn't. There you I go. didn't. Yeah. So uh, I guess more than anything, this is teaching me that I definitely need her yeah. more than I think I do. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's not necessarily humbling. It's like. Yeah, it's 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 more than that. She's <laughs> a help. More than she's a, a helpmate. Oh and, yeah, and you need it uh, all the time. <laughs> Way more than I think I do. We all do. <laughs> I need to change my thinking because it's like, dude, you definitely need your wife. But uh, we're gonna get into this real quick here. I have a few questions for Pastor about a few things. Uh, first of all, how you doing, Matt? How's everything going? Uh, I'm swamped, but I'm blessed. Yeah. So I'm. I'm burning many candles, but the Lord has given much uh, strength, so I'm thankful for that. Good, good, good. So I have a question about the last sermon that you did, and it was actually about communion Mm -hmm. uh, from past Sunday, Mm -hmm. and that past Sunday uh, was, what date was that Sunday? Is it 13th or 14th? I think the 14th. 14th, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you talked about communion, and one of the things that you were talking about was obviously the importance of communion, but also the importance of us doing it uh, within the confines of uh, being together. Yeah, the the assembly, assembly, Mm -hmm. the gathering. So Mm -hmm. um, one thing that you had mentioned, you were talking about, uh, excuse me, the different different, uh, times of it and when it was done, you were saying it was done all together. Now, mm-hmm. here's my question. Mm-hmm. The very first communion, mm-hmm. the entire church was not gathered. Mm-hmm. You're talking, you talking about with the apostles? The Last Supper. Mm-hmm. So my answer to that would be the church hadn't even started yet. Okay. Church doesn't start until Acts 2. So, gotcha. So that would be what Jesus was doing there. Remember Matthew 16, 18, he says, what future tense? I will build my church. Hmm. And so remember, the apostles and the prophets are what? They're the foundation, mm-hmm. Ephesians 2.20, of the church. Right. And so the apostles and the prophets technically aren't the building of the church. Mm-hmm. They're the foundation of the church, hmm. right? You don't build a foundation continually. That's why our charismatic friends get that wrong all the time, where they mm-hmm. continue to try to bring out revelation. But revelation doesn't continue. Mm-hmm. It doesn't continue because the revelation given through the apostles and the prophets was a one-time thing because that's the foundation. So you never build, keep building a foundation. Right. You build upon the foundation. Mm-hmm. So what you see in many ways in the uh, the inauguration of communion at the last Passover with the apostles is the Lord e- even building that foundation mm-hmm. even with communion, mm-hmm. right, where he's laying it and they're setting the example and they're, uh, they are, as Ephesians 2.20 says, they are the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, mm-hmm. the ultimate. So, yeah, so that, that uh, those three passages in the Gospels are very helpful in teaching us a lot about communion. But when it comes to the actual practice in the church, that's why 1 Corinthians 11 is so helpful because that then 
that's post, right? Mm -hmm. Acts 2. The church gets inaugurated in Acts 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's how I would answer that. Yeah. I appreciate that. I thought thought through that, and I was like, man, it's like, so they weren't all there. So, and, but then after that, in that sermon, you actually talked about how that was kind of like that, that pivot. Yeah, you know, it's a transition. Yeah, from yeah. the old covenant, basically yep. the Passover. Yep. That's why to, they were doing Passover. Yeah, and Passover's no more after that. Right, it's communion. Right. So that's why they were still celebrating Passover because they're still in the old covenant, mm-hmm. right? And that continues until Christ is resurrected and mm-hmm. is, and ascends. That's why Acts two is foundational because it all changes then, right? Even this even this week sermon, I'll talk about how uh, Christ in Mark nine uh, tells the three uh, primary apostles, Peter, James, and John, to not tell anybody about the transfiguration, mm. to keep it silent until mm-hmm. he's resurrected, right? Right, and, and because once he's resurrected, then everything changes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that begins to set in stone what Acts 2, you know, is, is the really the beginning of the church, and then, it, then it's all forward from there. Yeah. And so, but yeah, no, that's a, that's a side that just people don't think through and don't realize. And so Christ is preparing the building of the church on the work of the apostles and even that Passover uh, commemoration as the last one, as well as the inauguration of communion is part of that foundation being laid. That's mm-hmm. why he says, this is the beginning. This mm-hmm. is, this is, I'm starting a whole new, a new commandment I give to you. He says in John, yeah. it's all new, right? Mm-hmm. And cause those guys are the ones they blaze the trail and they start the lay the foundation that we're built upon. Mm-hmm. So. I think that um, I think that when I look at like some of the things that the modern church uh, will do with communion, yep. uh, it's more it was more sad than anything. Yeah. And, I, and I know it's not being done from it, it probably is being done from an area of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also it, it it was like a I'll give you an example. Um, I think it was last year uh, during all of the stuff that was going on, the, the riots and all those things um, on the anniversary of uh, one of the murders that was you know, being publicized. They had a, a communion service online mm-hmm. and the parishioners were instructed to grab sweet tea and mm-hmm. Skittles. Yeah. And for me, I look at that and I'm like. Like you're completely missing the point of communion, mm-hmm. but also you're making a mockery of what Christ totally. did by shedding his blood and mm-hmm. his body being torn, mm-hmm. you know, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as when it comes down to things of that nature, I mean, and you talked about the ordinances, the underemphasis yep. of the ordinance and the overemphasis of yep. the ordinances. Yep. Um, with having a right look on some of those things, mm-hmm. what are we as believers when we see these things, are we to address them like with the the members of that other church mm-hmm. to say, Hey, you know, this is where we are, or are we just to leave them alone to be dealt with uh, and, yeah. and to be instructed by their particular pastors? Yeah, no. So a couple things. One is I think it goes even further than that as far as, Every, everything is about rightly evaluating whatever it is you're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. If you get a wrong evaluation, you're always going to offer a wrong solution, mm-hmm. right? So if we're looking at the ordinances or for, for lack of better, even going deeper, church church understanding, our, our ecclesiology, right? Mm-hmm. That's what this is. When we start talking about ordinances, we start talking about church practice, we're talking about the doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And I think the reason why the ordinances, baptism, 
and the Lord's Supper. That's the only two ordinances we have. An ordinance is nothing more than than a special decree, authority, or an event given to the church specifically by Christ himself. Mm -hmm. He he gives us baptism and commands us to baptize. He gives us Lord's Supper, commands us to remember, right? And that's that's the ordinance. Roman Catholic Church sees, what, seven? And, of course, they're not in the Bible. And so we see two, two ordinances. And, of course, their whole view of the ordinance is way different. They see it salvific and infusion of grace and all kinds of heresy and false teaching there. But we understand at the end of the day, and this is where I think you have to begin, and this is why it goes wrong. We understand that in God's eternal plan, the local church is primary. Mm-hmm. The local church, and I, and I use that term local, local is, is a massive part of God's plan for his people. That, if you don't start there, if you don't have that view of the local church, your ecclesiology goes wrong from from there on out everything else is going to be weak at best about it mm-hmm. well i'm here i'm here to tell you without any shadow of a doubt most people have a view of the local church that is optional that the local church is just it's what we do it's cultural mm-hmm. right it's um, we show up on sundays and we do this thing and it's just kind of it's kind of like a social gathering it's kind of was raised in it people fail to see no this is god's design Mm-hmm. This is this is what he had planned. This is primary to the proclamation of the gospel, to the purification of the believer, to the uh, completion of his of his kingdom plan. A massive part of that is the ministry of the local church. Everybody who's a believer always tends to minimize the local church and elevate the universal church. When you say church, people are like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the church. I'm a believer. And they're going to the universal church. And the universal church is, is far greater than most people think. But they minimize it. They utterly minimize it. Matter of fact, they minimize it so much that when people talk about the universal church, they're thinking about all Christians at that moment. But they fail to realize that the universal church is all Christians of all time right? Mm. Past, present, right. future, mm-hmm. right? So most people have a small view of the universal church. Right. But the, the issue that, that fails to be uh, embraced is that when you study ecclesia, the word for church, and that doctrine in the New Testament, you realize that word is used about 108, 110 times, and almost all of them are local church. Almost all. It's like Maybe 12 times it's universal church. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the mid-90s, low-90s, it's all local church. Because and, and I'm not, I think both of those need to be prioritized, right? You've got to have a right view of the universal church because the local church really is a, is a subset and a, and a visible manifestation of, of the universal church. But the problem with our culture and our day is people have so minimized and mocked the local church, that it's become almost, almost to where, well, it's not almost, it is. Most people don't think they need it. Most people won't join a church. Most people won't invest in a church. Most people don't think they need the church. They're totally, they're totally offline. Especially now. No, no, totally. That's why COVID has revealed that. People don't go to church. I don't need to go to church. It's not a big Mm -hmm. deal. I can sit at home. I can watch John MacArthur. I can listen to my pastor online. I can take communion online Mm -hmm. and all of that. All of that is a, is a gross perversion of what 
God designed in his word. The local church is so foundational to the physical health and spiritual well-being of the individual Christian that Christ himself set it up, right? I mean, he gives the he gives the elders, he gives the deacons, he gives his word, he gives the directions. I mean, the whole books of the Bible are written so that the local church would, would function a certain way. And Ephesians 4, most specifically, very clear, he gives the, the shepherd teachers to the church for the whole purpose of building up the body of Christ. This is his plan. Ephesians 3 says very clearly that this is his eternal plan mm-hmm. that he's been working towards. And again, that's not minimizing at all the universal. That's putting it in its right place. But that local setting is so vital, and communion is a part of that. So most people have a, have a di- uh, divergent and deficient view of communion because their view of the church is divergent and deficient. Mm-hmm. So we can talk all day about communion, but that's not really the issue at the end of the day. The mm-hmm. issue at the end of the day is their ecclesiology is, here's the key word, individual. So I brought something out in my sermon that a number of people pointed out and said that it really confronted them and helped them. And I asked this very simple but profound theological question. Do you view the Christian life as an individual, primarily an individual journey? It's you and Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is here for you. Jesus is doing his work in you. Jesus is going to get you home, right? Well, obviously, there's some truth to that for sure, right? Substitutionary atonement, salvific Salvation is individual. We understand that. We don't deny that. However, key word, primarily. Is it primarily individual? No, not at all. Scripture scripture utterly obliterates that idea. It's primarily corporate. Mm-hmm. The whole, the whole um, metaphors, all the metaphors used in the Scripture for the church never speaks of individual. For the, even the Christian, right? Body of Christ family of God, mm-hmm. one new man where he mm-hmm. takes Gentile and Jew and brings them together. And mm-hmm. it always speaks of unity and diversity and solidarity. And and these realities get, get utterly uh, denied and minimized and mocked. And that's why it's very commonplace today. I love Jesus, but I want nothing to do with the church. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you love Jesus and you say you want nothing to do with the church, I don't know who your Jesus is mm-hmm. because he died for the church, which includes the local church, mm-hmm. right? You right. can't separate the two. Mm-hmm. And so when we start talking about communion and, and all the deficiencies with it in our understanding of it, it really is tethered to an, a weak, anemic, ungodly, unbiblical view of ecclesiology. That's at the heart of why we struggle with the ordinances, whether it be baptism or communion. Wow. Well, you took me in a completely different direction than yeah. I wanted to go. But we can talk about the specifics, great. but that has to be heard said first. Yeah, I appreciate that because as I think it through, like I don't, I can point to two, maybe five people in my life that um, have been hurt by the church so much that they just don't want to go back to the church. Yeah. And, and that's real. Yeah. I don't, I don't minimize that. Mm-hmm. I, I have been myself. Mm-hmm. So I understand that, but yeah, I don't want to minimize that at all. Yeah. But that doesn't take away the truth. Right. The truth in the already established, you know, foundation yep. of, you know, your Christian life is not just being, you know, that substitutionary atonement that you were talking about with the individual, but also yeah. with the local church. It, I have seen this so many times, and that's why I'm I'm totally excited and ready to talk all about communion if that's where you want to go. But 
but I don't want to miss the issue. Mm -hmm. I think the bigger issue is your ecclesiology. And I've watched guys and girls and adults who by and large are sound people and they love the Lord. I don't deny that. However, when you start getting into some of these eccentric views of the ordinances, Mm -hmm. you start to realize and you talk with them, it never fails. They have an overemphasized ecclesiology that is individual. It's me and Jesus, right. or it's my family, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm the father, and this is my church, my children, my wife, and I'm happy to just be with them. We can get, I really don't need that. And then you start to realize, oh, okay, so that's why they want to do communion at home, because they, they see that as their own church, and that's all they need. And, and they're totally missing the, um, the, the, uh, the imperatives of Scripture that speak so clearly about the body of Christ coming together. And that Lord's Day assembly, because that's all the church, that's all the word church means. It just means assembly and its foundational nature. And so when we're talking local church, it's about the assembling of the believers for the worship of God, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen when he talks about them coming together five times. He says in verse 18, when you come together as the church, mm-hmm. he's like, this isn't a gathering of your Christian friends for dinner. Right, because yep. you you get together with Christian friends, as and you and I even get together like that. But that's not the church, even though we're part of the church. Mm-hmm. We're not gathering as the church. We're gathering as just brothers who are going to enjoy some meat and potatoes, right, mm-hmm. and some sparkling water. <laughs> <laughs> and we're yeah, gotta yeah. have that. Yeah, and I mean, but that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And this is where again a weak a weak ecclesiology fails to differentiate between a gathering of Christians and the gathering of the church. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference in the Bible. You see that very clearly. And of course, that's Paul's point very clearly in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. When you come together as the church, it's huge. I mean, there's, of course, 1 Timothy, almost the whole book is all about when you gather as a church, do this, do this, do this. Mm-hmm. And so it's differentiating that reality and elevating that Lord's Day as primary of which communion is part of it. Yeah. No, you weren't pulling me off of, I didn't want to talk about communion the whole time, but it's more or less like how, you know, with me, my brain is always trying to wrap my head around the concept of church. And I challenge myself to do that. uh, Not just for the purpose of understanding it, but for the purpose of also scrubbing out all the bad things that I've learned in my life, you know, because Growing up, church was, you know, I literally, I could close my eyes and I could smell the chicken cooking, the fried chicken cooking downstairs in the basement from my church as a kid. Yep. Then going back and visiting that church. And then the next church that my my mom started going to, they didn't necessarily have that, but I could, you know, I know like that environment, but that was what I was taught to look at as church. Now it's weird. I was having a conversation with Beverly my wife uh, earlier today and she was saying that you know, since she's out of town, it's like, I've really, really missed church. Like it's not the same sitting there and watching Matt on exactly. the screen. It's, it's like, not. I miss like the conversations that we have after. That's you know, called the, fellowship. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. Which like is Hebrews 10, yeah. which you're commanded to do as part of the gathering. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's not even <laughs> that command is not even like, 
uh, like there's some commands. It's like, all right, I got to do this. I got to do this every day. That fellowship command is probably one of the easiest commands <laughs> for us to do as a church, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. But it does get minimized. Yeah. It, 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 it minim, we, minim, we minimize it more than we realize, mm-hmm. especially when we're individual stick yeah. in our thinking because then it's just about me mm-hmm. rather than hey I'm I'm I've covenanted which is a vital part you see it in Acts 2 where they come together and they're part of a body and they're they've covenanted they've committed themselves not only to Christ but to one another that's the assembly mm-hmm. and they say I'm going to care I'm going to love I'm going to pray I'm going to serve and that's where that command in Hebrews 10 is so is so vital to not forsake the assembling together to stir one another up, right? Mm-hmm. To love and good deeds, especially as you see the days getting more and more wicked. And yeah, we we need that. the The ordinary means of grace, and there are there are a number of them, of which preaching of the word, the public preaching of the word, is the primary one. Mm-hmm. That is what God uses the most in our lives to protect us, to sanctify us, to grow us. And that event, and that's what it is, when the word of God is preached by the man of God to the people of God. There is there is a spiritual, providentially divine, enabling, equipping, confronting, conforming, sanctifying work that God is doing through his word, by his spirit, amidst his people, that does not transfer through the internet. It can't. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so there's, again, some of these things, some of these things, like a lot in scripture— we just have to trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't fully explain how how a, how the man of God, who's obviously a, a, a sinful man in the sense of he's no different than anybody else, mm-hmm. yet he's chosen by God to be the be, to be that shepherd for that church. He pours himself out in studying the scriptures. He brings the word of God to the people of God. He pours himself out and just lays his life out as a sacrifice to the Lord. The word goes out. That word penetrates the heart of the people of God who are ready and prepared. The Spirit of God weaves all that into their life, convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, conforms them, confronts them, uh, um, in many ways comforts them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know how all that works. You can't see that, but Mm -hmm. that's what, what Jesus commands and that's what he's designed for our own good. And, of course, the beauty of it is we watch it work. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how it works. It's kind of like John 3, right? The Spirit goes wherever it will. I can't see the Spirit, but I know the Spirit works. And Jesus is it's like the wind. Mm-hmm. I can see the trees moving, but mm-hmm. I can't see the wind. <clears throat> right. It's like I can look at your life, and I can mm-hmm. see the Word of God working on you, mm-hmm. right? But I can't see it when it's happening. Mm-hmm. And that event and that means of grace is is powerful yeah and uh, that that public means of grace is huge and of course communion is another p- part of that mm-hmm. yeah i'm uh very grateful for the 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 fellowship and the uh the communing uh especially us taking communion this past sunday uh for the first time in a very long time I well mean, that was yeah and and the part of the body of christ the church again is if you see it individualistic, then yeah, you can take communion on your on your porch, in your bed, wherever, at your TV, with your small group or whatever. But when you understand that God has designed the community of the believers 
to be a community, a family. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, that, that's one of the greatest metaphors of the church in the scriptures, right? And so when you understand that, then you understand this is corporate. But when you understand the purpose of communion, the very purpose, the meaning of it, that it's vertical between the believer and the Lord, but it's also horizontal, mm-hmm. that it's the, it's the display of the unification and the solidarity of the body of Christ, that we are one body, and that event identifies us as such. Communion is one of the most unique, it, um, matter of fact, it, it is the most unique event, act, that the church does that separates it from everything else. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we are demonstrating to the world we are different. We are different. We are called out the redeemed people of God. We are unified. Mm -hmm. We are black. We are white. We are Asian. We are Latino. We are young. We are old. We are male. We are free. We are rich. We are poor. But look at us. We're all together Mm -hmm. doing the same thing for the same purpose to the same Lord because he has redeemed us all the same. Mm -hmm. It's glorious, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not just me and God. That's me and my fellow brothers and sisters all together in the Lord. Right. That's why the analogy of the Lord's table, it, it literally is a family meal where Christ is hosting us and we're all sitting around it together, mm-hmm. partaking together. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you, you can't do that. You break the whole analogy. You break the whole purpose when you're somebody's, uh, you know, down the street, another one over in another county. They're, you know, over there. That doesn't work. I can't have a meal with people like that. Yeah. So I can't have the Lord's table with people like that. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it contradicts the whole thing. And, of course, that's what was going on even in uh, 1 Corinthians when they were not waiting for one another and the rich were going before the poor, and it was just a, a divisive, discriminatory mess. Yeah. Well, i got to ask you now, um, this takes it a step further. Yep. Seeing, with, uh, seeing all the things that are now kind of coming up in society mm-hmm. that may, in the future— uh, split us up in some way. Yeah. How will we handle communion in that way? And to make my like example specific, like we are forced not to, you know, uh, uh, meet together in our building um, because of some law. We do it anyway. And we're, you know, some of us go to jail. Some of us, yep. you know, kind of, you know, worship in our homes or something like that. Or, yep. you know, some other place where we can hide or something like that. What do we do of communion at, at that point? Yeah, so, you know, the hypotheticals are endless. Right? Yeah, obviously. I mean, we, can, we can, you know, spin that, you know, 12 different ways to Sunday and have, you know, conversations that never end. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, just to encourage you on, on a personal level by way of eldership, our elders have already got a plan for all of that. We're that far ahead in thinking of that, in 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 preparing for what might come, praying mm-hmm. that it never does. Right. So, um, and that's one of the things you know, COVID has provoked us to grow, to learn, to study, and prepare, mm-hmm. so that in the event something like this happens again, we will respond um, in some ways the same, and in other ways way different <laughs> because mm-hmm. we're ready, right? right. And and uh, we're trying to be good stewards and all of that. So I would say. If it was a temporary thing like like we just went through, we would probably do much of what we just did, right? It, wait until we can get together, and of course, uh, if we can get together outside or whatever, then we would do that, mm-hmm. and and we would just wait. Um, but if it was a if it was a no foreseeable sh- future, we're separated now. We're never going to come back together because of persecution and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The hypothetical you threw out. 
Well, then we would literally divide up into different churches. Hmm. We've got enough elders. We've got enough leaders. We would divide up into small flocks, Mm -hmm. small churches, which is what you see in the Bible, Mm -hmm. by the way. I think it's four different times when it talks about churches meeting in homes, and each time they're referenced as a church. And that word means the gathered assembly. Mm -hmm. That's literally what it means. They weren't small groups of other churches. Mm -hmm. They were their own church. And so that's what we would do. And so we would literally have our own church over here and over there and not and not saying that we wouldn't somehow stay united in the leadership at least, encouraging one another, just mm-hmm. like we do with Baltimore Bible Church or Grace Community in Delaware. We mm-hmm. would definitely, but that group would have its own elder. They would have their own church. They would do their own thing and he would have oversight with whatever other men he would have with him. And that's what we would do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one, one uh, obvious response another would be you know if it wasn't as drastic here's another hypothetical that i think is a lot probably a lot more realistic and that is what if our what if our church grew to a point where we couldn't fit into our building mm-hmm. you know we're of the we're of the conviction that multiple services is not helpful it's actually harmful to the church what would we do if we ever had to be in a in a spot where we had to have multiple services because mm-hmm. we had we just didn't have enough space well, we would either build on to our church and create a larger space till we could get everybody in, and, uh, and in the meantime, we would do the best we could, or we would just plant and start new churches, and we would peel people off. So if we've got a ton of people coming from South County, we would just start a whole new church down there, and mm-hmm. we would peel people off and have their own shepherd down there. And, I mean, that's, yeah, it's it's not rocket science. It's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what you do, and that way you keep the purity of the body and and the assembly and and all of that. And so, yeah, we've, we've got plans for that. If need be, we're ready. Uh, you know, but it would just be on what the situation might, might entail. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, so yeah, we're, I think that's, uh, that's biblically sound and, uh, even, even flexible, you know, we're not going to fight to try to stay together if we can't be together in that sense. If, God providentially separates us because of persecution, like you said. Right. Then we're we'll just keep doing what we're doing, and but do it in the right way, mm-hmm. rather than uh, just having everybody do their own thing. That's not shepherding. That means people are just out there doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. That's the law of the judges, and we know what that brings. Yeah. But we would have elders and shepherds who are in those groups shepherding their own people. They would have their. Own. You got to remember, churches church is different than a gathering of Christians, right? It's about church discipline. It's about the preaching of the word. It's about the ordinances. Mm-hmm. That's what identifies a church. Right. And so those groups would have their own church and all the responsibilities and benefits that go with that. Hmm. Well, sounds like uh, if this was to happen, hypothetically, I would be back in the same uh, predicament where I smell fried chicken during the service. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it could be if it's at your house, and oh. and that wouldn't be a bad thing. Oh no, not at all. It's, it's the the fellowship would definitely change right. when that came down to it. You know, yeah. I would be listening to a sermon while I'm making sure that the grill is getting hot. But you know? but what one thing that that American, especially in in our in our region, they just lose sight of is the church has been doing this for for thousands of years. Yeah, been dealing with persecution again. Not here in our country, which is very young, a couple mm-hmm. hundred years, but around the globe. I mean, the, 
I was when I was preaching on civil disobedience. This is how most Christians live their whole life. Yeah, they live their whole life in civil disobedience. Yeah, God honoring, not mm-hmm. not in not in political activism, but in God honoring, quiet continuance. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's how they live. I mean, the underground church is the underground church because they're staying hidden so that they can follow the Lord and do what they're doing. And of course, that's so many of the martyrs, especially post-Reformation. I mean, that's why they were killed, and that's the stories we read because, you know, John Bunyan, they're going out into the field or, you know, they're they're trying to hide in the woods and meet as a church because mm-hmm. they can't because of the official decrees. I mean, yeah, that's so common. And so when those days come, the good thing is we have a long line of godly men that has left us a faithful trail to follow. We just need to be faithful and, f- and follow in the in the vein of biblical uh uh, scriptural faithfulness, and uh, the Lord will bless that. He, he, it's amazing. He has promised to bless certain things, and He has always promised to bless those who are persecuted for His name's sake. Yeah, which is something not said enough. Now I'm not talking about provoking personal persecution. That's sin. But when you're seeking to be faithful and you're persecuted for it, one thing for sure, it'll be hard, but you'll be blessed. Hmm. And uh, yeah, most people forget about that. Yeah, a lot because. Uh... A lot of times we uh, don't want to take the path of humility yeah. and want to be the center of attention. Yeah, um, which happens uh, sadly, and you become prideful and and uh, take away the glory of God. Yeah, yeah, Get it's the glory uh, for yourself. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, yep. well, uh, it was that question. The other one was about um, a, a comment that John MacArthur had made, and uh, as we switch gears to this one this does have to do with the church Mm -hmm. um so it's not like it's completely off the wall but um i honestly don't remember the setting of the comment Mm -hmm. uh, or the statement that he made uh but the statement essentially is that he will not fight for religious freedom Mm. um and it's you know he feels that fighting for religious freedom is idolatrous Mm. um because you know the church as it is will strive whether or not we have religious freedom yep and there are a lot of people that disagreed with him Mm -hmm. obviously i want to get your perspective on that yeah um as i thought through it i said hmm I I never really thought of it that way because one thing that you were talking about in the government uh, sermons was uh, especially like, you know, you you took us through uh, in the Bible study, you took us through Paul, how he had, you know, the the Roman citizenship under his belt, you know, all these different things that helped him to be able to to preach the gospel. Exactly. Um, And then, uh, you know, we live in us living in this country have the privilege to have that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Second Amendment, First Amendment, it's First Amendment. Yes. Amendment, yeah. First Amendment uh, right to be able to assemble and mm-hmm. to, you know, have our freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just found it very interesting that he mm-hmm. made that comment. Yeah. You know. So I didn't hear the comment, nor have I heard anything about it. So this is brand new. Yeah, this is brand new. So mm-hmm. I can't really speak to what he said, why he said it, where he said it, because I just don't have any of that <coughs> info. Mm-hmm. But I can speak to the idea, right, of defending religious freedom and all of that. First of all, I'll say what I said in the sermon series, that I preached seven sermons on Romans 13 and and the correlating idea of church and state relationship and what that is. I preached seven sermons and never mentioned the First Amendment right of uh, freedom of religion one time. Mm-hmm. 
and I and I did that purposely for multiple reasons was to show that if a church to properly understand civil obedience and then God honoring civil disobedience, I think you have to remove religious the religious freedom mentality out of it mm-hmm. because it's been so it's been so superimposed upon the discussion of civil obedience and civil disobedience, or you could say the relationship between church and state, that reality of, of, of constitutional rights is probably the better way to say it. That reality of constitutional rights has, has distracted the church. Yeah. It has become, it has made the church more political Mm -hmm. and less biblical. Yeah. And I see even some guys that I respect and, and I'm thankful for in ministry, pastors, uh, leaders, where they're way too uh, way too tethered to their constitutional rights, even in this whole discussion, and talking about you know that's not right, government's this, government's that, and it's all tethered to the Constitution. And what I said in that last sermon is, I, I I'm not basing any of my defense for civil disobedience off of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Everything I'm going to do is going to be based off of the word of God. Mm -hmm. And if I've got to base anything off of the constitution, I feel like I'm already in a weakened state. Mm -hmm. If I can't build my case for why I can't obey government from the Bible alone, there is a case to be made. I, I, the constitution, at least in our country is the law of the land. Mm -hmm. If you understand it. So there's a case to be made. If the government oversteps its bounds and Mm -hmm. starts promoting one, one religion over another and all of that, I'm not denying that. That's just not the pastor's place, I don't think. I think his place, he's the, he's the community theologian. He's the preacher. He's, he's the voice of God as it pertains to the Word of God. So he brings that, and that's far greater, far more impacting, and has greater value and depth of impact because he's dealing with the eternal truths of God's Word, which mm-hmm. far sur- surpass a temporary document written by fallible men right. that is that is erroneous at best, which ours is, and we've seen that, we yeah, know it. Definitely. So why am I going to spend time exegeting a constitution, which I'm thankful for, but I know is going to err on mo- multiple areas and always going to be deficient at, at, it, at best? Why not go with the inspired, infallible, always right, always perfect, always powerful word mm-hmm. of God yeah. that speaks to everything. Yeah. So so that's that's always been my position that will remain by God's grace, my position. That's why I preached all those sermons, never said a word about it, have no intention to say anything about it. Because yeah. if I can't build my case on why government's wrong and the church is right from God's word, then I don't have a case, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I, I'm I'm not minimizing the importance of our Constitution and how thankful I am for the rights that I, that we have in our country, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that's a place for lawyers, right? That's right. A, that's a place for lawyers to litigate. Constitutional lawyers and scholars they can debate that and they can defend that, and I'm thankful for those that do because I know I don't want to I don't want to lose the ability to proclaim the word in freedom and all of that, and uh, and so however, and maybe this is what pastor john was talking about if i do lose it i'm not worried about it because mm-hmm. the word of god's going to go forth one way or the other yeah right and even matthew 10 which i think i used in one of my sermons at the end matthew 10 where jesus uh proleptically prophetically declared that the apostles and all followers will be dragged before kings and governors mm-hmm. and will have to give an account 
will have to stand before people because they are civilly disobeying, because they're preaching the word, and they're going to be thrown in jail, and they're going to be killed. And we see that even in Revelation 2 with, with the church at Smyrna and all through Acts. And it's like, and Jesus says, and the reason for that is so that you may proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so God's word's going to be proclaimed with or without religious freedom. Yeah. And a, and a profound passage that talks about this is when Paul says, when he's, when he's I think it's when he's in... Um, I'm going to look it up. Cause, uh, You're talking about location? Yeah, when he, oh, okay. is, when he says in, uh, when he says in 2 Timothy 2, I love this. Second Timothy 2, verse 9. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Okay, so he's in jail. Mm-hmm. I'm in jail because I've been preaching the word. And then he says, but the word of God is not chained, is not bound. Mm-hmm. Paul's like, I'm bound. I'm stuck to a Roman soldier right now. But the word of God is not bound. I'm still preaching it. I'm still declaring it. Mm-hmm. It's still going out. Mm-hmm. And any faithful preacher knows that. And so so my, I'm not going to waste any time in this sense. I would totally agree with John MacArthur. I'm not going to waste any time trying to defend our freedoms and our rights um, because I've been given a task to proclaim the word. I've been given a task, honestly, to defend the truth. That's what the church is, First Timothy 3.15. We are the pillar and buttress of the truth. Mm-hmm. That speaks of a pedestal by which we hold up the truth and a, and a, uh, a leveler by which we, we protect the truth, by which we uh, lean against the truth and protect it from error and from false teaching. That's my job. That's mm-hmm. my mission. That's the church's life. That's what we live for. And we let those other people, many times believers, who are in that realm, let them deal with that, and we're thankful for them, and I'm thankful they'll do that. But one day, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's obvious it's going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. I said it, I think, in my uh, church and government lecture series I did back in the fall, and I said, if you're basing your entire life around the Constitution, you're done. Because, yeah. I mean, it's already showing. It's, it's written in stone. It's done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a matter of time before it crumbles. It's mm-hmm. already starting. You can see the... I think I said then, it's just our Constitution, as as blessed as we have been to have it, at the end of the day, it's just words on paper that, depending on who's in charge, will change those words and reinterpret those words to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're watching happen yep. more and more, because man just keeps demonstrating his wickedness more and more, mm-hmm. and it's it's only a matter of time because before it becomes meaningless. Yeah. And uh, because, again, the words are powerless in and of themselves. The words, if they're not submitted to by a humble people, they're just words. It's not like the word of God where it's living and active. Mm -hmm. This is a living and active word. It changes you and you can't change it. You can't stop it. Right. It it goes out and it never returns void. The Constitution is not that. It's just words. I'm thankful for them. and, And many sections of them are great words but they have no power in and of themselves if people don't submit to it and mm-hmm. follow it. And so in that sense, I don't know if that's what he meant, but I would totally agree in that, uh, not minimizing at the same time the blessing that those that those rights are. And I don't want to at all, you know, again, I'm not the type of person that's praying for persecution, uh, uh, you know, and looks forward to that. There are some guys that kind of speak that. I'm not that. I don't want that because I know what that means, mm-hmm. though I believe it's coming. I want us to have those freedoms for as long as we can and take advantage of them. 
as 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 we should as Paul did, right? He mm-hmm. used his rights to his advantage and I think we should as well. Mm-hmm. And that's being Matthew 10 harmless as doves and wise as serpents and so I'm not 100% sure what he meant, but mm-hmm. if that's what he meant, I'm right there with him and I, I don't think any pastor most pastors get too entangled into politics and those kind of things. And I think you leave that to the politicians and the constitutional lawyers. You just do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I gave you, I didn't give you word for word, but I gave you kind of what he said. But the irony is that when I started to listen to people rebut what he said, none of them used scripture. No, none of them were able to because of the, um, it's, it's just so ironic. It's like you're upset that he is saying scripture is more powerful than the constitution, totally. but you can't use any scripture to rebut that at all in yeah. an effective way. Yeah. So I'm like, well, maybe you should be on the uh, the right side of history as people like to say, yeah. like historically the Bible has been the one book that it interprets itself and has always been true. Yep. So now uh, a, a document that has been written thousands of years after mm-hmm. you're going to put that above the Bible. Yeah. And, and, and again, most people would never say that, but that's how they live. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's interesting when you're dealing with government and constitution comes into this is that the, the 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 word of God never dictates any specific form of government? Mm-hmm. So you know we're talking monarchy, we're talking uh, oligarchy, we're talking democracy, mm-hmm. constitutional republic. There's all kinds of forms of government, mm-hmm. and the Bible never gives directions in that. It definitely shows that God establishes, installs government. It's from Him, but the specifics are left to man. And those, and they come and go historically. You watch mm-hmm. it, right? You watch kings and princes and all kinds of forms of government come and go. And uh, some are obviously better than others for sure because they feed the flesh of man or restrain it, uh, the flesh of man. Yet at the end of the day, um, it's it's just a form of government, and the Word of God is is supreme to all of that. It's the final and ultimate authority because it's God's Word, and yeah, we're not going to get hooked up in that, and we're not here to be defenders. Uh, we, I mean, offline, we were talking about this. We're aliens and strangers. Yeah. To I mean, we we are citizens of heaven first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Now we're temporary citizens of all kinds of countries, right? Wherever wherever you are. And we are citizens of America, and I'm thankful to be that. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm just a pilgrim. I'm just, this isn't my home. I'm mm-hmm. not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to defend it in the right sense. I'm going to, I'm going to try to help and be the best citizen I can be because that's what I'm commanded to do right. as a Christian. Mm-hmm. But my allegiance is to one, mm-hmm. and that's the Lord. And so, yeah. Yeah, as it should be. Yeah. So, um, I don't have any other questions uh, currently. Yeah. Um, but I do, I would like for you to uh, give us the gospel. Yeah. And I'm giving this in light of something that you said a few weeks ago when, you know, we were talking about, like, you were talking about the young man that was out in front of the, or inside oh, yeah. the church playing basketball. Oh, yeah. You know, you kind of took his name, which was yep. Joseph, and, you know, yep. just kind of said, well, you know, that's, you know, you, you kind of use whatever you could to get to the gospel. Yes. And I know that that is like something that a lot of uh, hopefully the folks listening, you know, would want to, you know, have more chances to um, to be able to give the gospel and explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to uh, more people. Yeah, so that's a good question. Can you kind of give us the gospel in a way that would be, you know, 
you know, like the the conversational way to get into that whole thing. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let me just say this going into it. The mm-hmm. gospel never changes. Right. The right. Gospel Absolutely. Is the same. 100. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yet how we get to it, it right. changes all the time. Mm-hmm. And the key, I think the key that's often missing that unlocks this, what is hard, it's very hard when you're dealing with strangers and you're dealing with people you've never met and all those things, even honestly, it's hard sometimes with people, you know, mm-hmm. right. To bridge, to make that bridge. So I think there's just an honesty that has to be there. But one of the things that I, I know to be true and that is often missed one, you got to pray, f- you got to pray about it before it happens. Mm-hmm. Meaning you, you got to be praying that the Lord will give you opportunities and then you got to look for them. And again, I think that's most people don't do that. They're just, bouncing around through life like bumper cars, right? And with, you know, almost almost thoughtless rather than looking at every place they go as a sovereign divine appointment that God has brought into your life mm-hmm. for some form or fashion that mm-hmm. we don't know, but right. God is working, mm-hmm. right? And so I think I th- I think that that changes the whole dynamic of the situation when you're going into whatever. So the other day, there's this guy shooting hoops out in our parking lot. And I mean, I saw him from out the window. And my first thought was, I wonder if that guy's a believer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just my first thought. Why? Because mm-hmm. I'm praying that all the time. Mm-hmm. Lord, bring an unbeliever into my life. Give me an opportunity to share the gospel with him. And so I didn't, I, like, it's, it's, just, it's just flowing, right? When you're praying about it and you're looking for it, it'll just come out of you. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't thought about it and you haven't prayed about it, you're going to have to pull it out. And I think that's where most people are, and mm-hmm. that's why they struggle. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're rightfully anxious about it, or you're looking and you're just like, hey, hey, wonder if that guy's a believer. Wonder if that you're you're going to go after it mm-hmm. and you're going to have a greater sense of courage and and even clarity because you're going to listen mm-hmm. to what they say and look for ways in which you can get there. Right. So I so I walked outside and the guy's shooting hoops and Go up to him like you would anybody else. Hey, how you doing, man? How's your day? And, you know, immediately starts talking. I can tell he's a foreigner, right? Mm -hmm. And then I asked him his name to try to figure out, um, you know, where he was from. Mm -hmm. And then when he said his name was Joseph, I was like, well, that doesn't fit, you know? So immediately I'm thinking, oh, okay, this guy's just Joseph from somewhere in, you know, somewhere in Africa, somewhere, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so immediately I'm like, hey, that's a great name. That's a Bible name. Do you know what that word means? that name means and then he just stopped everything grabbed the basketball and then i just launched right in mm-hmm. to the reality of joseph being in the old testament and then hey do you know where the old testament is have anybody ever told you about god have you ever heard of and i'm just rolling then mm-hmm. and and he by god's grace was very receptive into hearing the gospel and uh, and sharing it with him and uh, we had a great conversation but it's just looking for those doorways and there's myriads of them, especially now with all our world the way it is. And oftentimes you can tell by somebody's decorum that they're struggling, right? They're just yeah. they're just not smiling. Yeah. And then you can just say, you know, the world's world's a mess right now, isn't mm-hmm. it? And I mean, almost immediately everybody's going to be like, oh, it is crazy. And then and then you just you don't you don't hold back like you don't you don't try to have a debate about who's president and who's not president and who sh- who would be a better president. To, don't go down that road. Just say, you know what. You know, you know why the world's a mess? And immediately, I'm telling you, they're going to be like, uh, tell me. Mm-hmm. And then you go right into sin, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's just so many ways to do that. You don't need much. You just need, just, need a, just need some sort of bridge to get you in there. And it's always there. It's always there. Yeah. You just got to pray about it and look for it and be ready. 
and go after it. Mm-hmm. And so, so the gospel of Jesus Christ always begins with God. Mm-hmm. And so as I was talking with Joseph the other day, I was telling him that God created everything, right? And we were talking about Joseph and, and God being the ultimate creator and talking about the trees around. And we were looking at those and the beauty of creation and how this didn't just happen, that God created it for his glory and that he himself, in bringing it to him, that he, i.e. Joseph, this man I was talking with, was created by God for God, that God created him to serve, worship, and honor him. And in so doing, that would be the greatest blessing in Joseph's life. But something happened. Sin entered the world through Adam. And because we're all from Adam, we've all sinned. And Joseph sinned against God. And we talked about that and how sin is ultimately rebellion against God, where God wants us and demands that we go this way, which is service and worship of him. But we all are born going that way, the opposite, service and worship of self. And that is ultimately idolatry where we're worshiping ourselves rather than God. It's ultimately rebellion where we're going the opposite direction against the will of God rather than submitting to the will of God. And that sin, as wicked as it is, as it is brings a curse. And that curse is the separation from God. We have been cursed by our sin where we are totally separated from him. And that separation brings the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon our lives and walk through Adam and Eve and what that sin brought and the curse of death and how that spread to all men and explaining how we're all sinners. And obviously this guy's listening. And so we've all sinned. We've all been separated from God. We all have the wrath of God upon us. And that's why we all die. That's, and, and I've, I've even talked with atheists about this and no one has an answer for this, right? No one. Why does everyone die? That is a universal truth that is always a doorway for you. Why does everyone die wherever you go on the planet for all time? Everyone dies no matter what. And of course, you know, some smart guys will try to bring out this answer or that answer. But you can tell it gets them thinking because there's a universal problem no matter where you go. Black, white, tribe, rich, poor, no matter where you go, throughout the quarters of time, however much medicine you bring, what kind of health you have, everyone dies because we all have the same problem. It's not cultural. It's internal. Hmm. It's a sin issue that we're born with. That's why we all die. So the answer isn't individual, right? I can't make myself better. It's not tribal. I can't have a better group of people that will make me better. It's got to be spiritual. It's got to be divine. It's got to come from outside of me. And that's where God reaches down and provides man the antidote to his ultimate problem of sin, and that is Christ, his own son. So in sin, we rebel against God. We bring, he brings the wrath of God rightly upon us. But in salvation, God himself provides a sin bearer to take our sin. He provides someone to take his wrath upon himself so that we don't take it. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to earth for the purpose to redeem man. So he came, he lived a perfect life, demonstrating he was the perfect son of God. He provided the perfect sacrifice because he was sinless. And he died, just as he said he would, the perfect death in place of sinners. And he rose again on the third day, proving that his sacrifice was acceptable to the Father, proving all that he said was true, and proving that all who put their faith and trust in him will too rise again. 
and have their sins forgiven. And so the call of the gospel is trust in Christ alone as your only sacrifice, your only opportunity, your only doorway for forgiveness and being reconciled to the Father, having that wrath dealt with, having your sins forgiven, and having the righteousness that God demands given to you. And that is the call of the gospel is to repent of your sins, turn away from that, and trust in Christ alone. The one who came, the one who died, and the one who raised from the grave and who is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. You follow him. So it's recognizing your sin, being broken over that sin, and turning away from it and abandoning it to faith and trust in Christ alone. And the glorious hope of the gospel is those who do that, all, everyone, every single person that truly repents and truly believes in Christ alone, truly has all their sin forgiven and has eternal hope that though Jesus said, though he die, yet he will live forever. Mm. What a glorious truth that is. Amen. Now that question is messing with me. Why does everybody die? That question is messing with me now because, yeah, absolutely. There's only really one answer to that. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And the answer is a great question. The answer is sin. Yeah. It's universal. Mm -hmm. That's the amazing thing about it. It's no matter where you go, no matter who you talk to, tribe, foreign language, foreign planet, anywhere, anywhere Mm -hmm. on the planet, everyone will die. All right. I got to ask this question. I know I said this would be the last thing, but I got to ask this question. I know you got to go because you got things to do. I got things to do. This is my job. This is my job to provoke questions. Yeah. So, I did it. So, I think a lot of times people are discouraged. Yeah. They get this opportunity to uh, share the gospel. They do that. And then it gets to the point where, you know, the person isn't like crying and, you know, ready to just submit themselves to Christ right then and there. Yeah. They listen to what you're saying and then they're like, okay, that sounds good. And then they just move on with their life. Yes. What is kind of like that next step step after that you yeah. know after you have have poured yourself into giving them the gospel like what's the next thing after that okay so one of the biggest misnomers of biblical evangelism is that conversion means faithfulness hmm. but you have to remember that salvation is of the lord jonah 2 9 that no one is saved apart from sovereign grace what does that mean that sovereign grace just means the divine hand of God. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's ever saved is only saved because God has touched their life, period. It's mm-hmm. nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. Salvation is of the Lord, completely, fully holy. Mm-hmm. That's the amazing thing. Every person is separated from God, and the only reason they ever become reconciled to God is because the divine hand of God turns them back. Right. So our job is not to save anyone because we can't. Mm-hmm. Our job is simply to be ambassadors, to herald the the message, to proclaim the truth. That's it. Once you do that, you're done. Mm -hmm. It's the Holy Spirit's job now, right? The Holy Spirit now takes the word and does whatever he's going to do, which will either be harden that person or save that person, Mm -hmm. because it will always do do one of the two, Mm because the word of God, again, never returns void. Mm -hmm. It will either convert or it will judge, right? And so at the end of the day, we have to remember that faithfulness, is ultimately all we're called to. And faithfulness means what? Evangelizing, sharing the gospel. Sometimes, because of the nature of the situation and the person, you may never get through the whole gospel Hmm. because somebody may cut it off, they may leave, whatever. That's out of your control, Mm -hmm. right? You can't control that. 
if somebody starts cursing you and run, running off, you know, yeah, obviously you're done or something else happens, you're done. But the key is that you're just seeking to be faithful to share the truth with what you have in the moment that you have for the glory of God. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And in the end, God will save who he's already chosen to save no matter what. We just have to be faithful to bring the message. You've heard me say this. At the end of the day, all of us are ambassadors in many ways, meaning we're all, we're all just mailmen. God's given us the message. We just have to deliver it. I, 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 it's not my job to open the mail and read it to them. That's their mail. Right. It's my job just to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Give them the gospel. What you do with it is now up to you. Yeah. And I will often use that line when I'm evangelizing somebody that I don't know. It's like, look, and, and you know, oftentimes there will be a little belligerent or a little, you know, uh, how do I want to say it, unkind. <laughs> and I don't want to hear, I've heard that. Who are you going to tell? And it's just, and then I'll just say, look, it's not my job to believe for you, and it's and, and it's not my job to make you believe. It's just my job to share the truth with yeah. you, and I've shared it, and now it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And and you walk away. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And so so I mean, honestly, if you share the gospel and somebody falls at your feet in dust and ashes, weeping, um, my first thought would be, what in the world's this? Because yeah. that doesn't normally happen. It does happen, but that's rare. Mm-hmm. And so we've gone into evangelism thinking that everyone's going to be saved that we share the truth with. But um, they'll be saved if that's what God wants. And oftentimes it comes through a myriad of opportunities mm-hmm. as people faithfully share the gospel throughout time. Mm-hmm. Then God brings that person in and he uses all those people along the way. And you just need to be faithful. All right. So I'm going to add to what you say with yep. the scripture. Go for it. First Corinthians 3, 6. Yep. I have planted Apollos Ward. But Lord, God made it grow. The Lord gives the increase. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. Just yep. be, just Mark, uh, what is it, Mark 4, just be the sower. Mm-hmm. Just sow the seed, mm-hmm. all kinds of soil. That's the whole point of that passage. Yeah. All kinds of soil. You don't know what soil you're dealing with, but your job isn't the soil. That's God's job. He tends the soil. Mm-hmm. You just sow the seed. Yeah. And remember, I don't know if you remember that sermon, but <laughs> many people have commented on it. The sower sows the seed, and he goes home, and he goes to sleep. <laughs> You yeah. that? Yeah. You just yeah. sow the seed and yeah. you go home and sleep. Relax. Yeah. But a, a lot of us think that that is actually having to do with the soil or actually, uh, no, it's really the seed and then putting the seed in the ground and then getting some type of, yeah, no. you know, uh, abundant. Yeah, it's the parable uh, of the soils. Yeah. And it's and, and the sower, the, evangel- the, the evangelist or the shepherd or whoever – that his job is simply to sow the seed. Mm-hmm. It's God that brings the increase. It's God that prepares the the heart. It, it really that whole parable is about the heart of man and mm-hmm. why the seed doesn't get planted mm-hmm. is because of the heart of man, and that's why God is the only one that can break the heart yeah. so that it receives the seed. Yeah, we can't do that. So that's not my job. That's why I'm not trying to manipulate people. I'm not trying to convict them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm just throwing seed at them. Just mm-hmm. throwing seed and praying <laughs> that it sticks because that's all that I'm called to do. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in here. And uh, we will see you all next week on the True Talks podcast. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com. 
Visit our Instagram and Twitter at The Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at BelcroftBibleChurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Belcroft Bible Church.